<laughs> Are you not entertained? Get busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Have you ever been in a situation where you're facing something that maybe you've never faced? Maybe you're at a crossroads and you don't know which way to turn. And maybe even you wished that you knew somebody who could relate. Somebody who didn't just give quote a verse or give advice, but somebody had who had really walked through the trenches just like you have. When Kaylee was in the hospital and we didn't know if she was going to live, ironically enough, somebody from our own hometown in Wichita Falls, Texas, was going through a similar situation. No, it wasn't the same prognosis, and no, it wasn't the same disease, but it was a matter of life or death. This individual ended up becoming a friend of my wife's. I remember clearly one day going down to the cafeteria and running into this lady. And I would hear Missy frequently talk about her struggle. And so I think for Missy to know somebody else who was in the same hospital and fearing for the life of their own child meant a lot to her. So let me welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk, Miss Carla Blanchard. Carla, good to have you with us today. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll eventually get into the whole details of all this. But Carla, why don't you tell us a little bit? Obviously, today we're going to be talking a lot about Kyle. Kyle is your son who was in UT Southwestern Mm -hmm. at the same time that Kaylee was. Yes. And your son was in and out of, unlike Kaylee's situation, where I don't know what was the longest length of time that Kyle was in the hospital. You know, Kaylee was in six months. Oh. Oh. I know he was in and out nonstop. I guess if I had to think back, probably the longest was probably three to four months at one time. But then we would go home just to turn around and come back. Right. Yeah, and I still hear people to this day who have been in the hospital for three or four days, and they'll talk about, or they have a loved one, and they go, gosh, I about lost my mind mm-hmm. being in the hospital three or four days, and, and sometimes I'm in the, in, inside going, yeah, you, imagine, yeah. of course, I would never say that, but imagine what it's like. Well, Carla, let's dive in a little bit. So let's talk about Kyle. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit just about Kyle before where I just spoke about at UT Southwestern. Okay. Kyle was born with a heart murmur. By the time he was two years old, he had to have coarctation of the aorta. Which He's, means what? Just just for me and those that are uneducated. Coarctation of the aorta, basically just to explain it the way that they showed us, if you took a piece of paper and you put a needle through it, the blood was trying to get through that little bitty small holes, uh, clots had formed around his heart, and that had to go in and be fixed. So it was a problem with the aorta. And they went in, they fixed it, and he saw a pediatric cardiologist from the ages of 2 to 12. And then one day they said he's good to go. If he needs surgery in the future, it might be some scarring tissues or something like that, but pretty much good to go. We were on our way to live life, and it wasn't until he was 24 he got a cough, And the cough wasn't a normal cough. And I didn't even know that a cough was related to heart issues. 
But when you have a cough like that, it can be your heart. So we... But did, hang on. He lived a normal life. I mean, yes. did he play sports in school? Yes. And he played He did karate. He played soccer. Um, but Kyle was always different. Kyle had a mild touch of autism. Uh-huh. And uh, what it did when he was two, he had lost some oxygen. And so he was always more frail than the other kids. And he would struggle to get... He was three years older than his brother, but his brother could do things he couldn't do physically. Just because of his experience, he was more weak in areas but he he did he did well he did the things the other he even has told me I'm so thankful that I wasn't sick in my childhood because I had the best childhood so he had a good time. So he he turns 24 he develops this cough. There's no presumption of any kind that there's anything major. I mean I've I've had three kids a cough. I mean mm-hmm. hey no big deal. But there's something about this that sets off an alarm. Right. So help us understand right. that. Well, he went to bed. He wouldn't get up. What I want people to know about Kyle is he was precious. He was sweet. He loved the Lord. He was active in our church and the music ministry. And we were having revival. And he was so pumped up about that revival and was so excited. But when revival came, he walked through the door and said, I'm not going to be here tonight. And I said, what do you mean you're not going to be here tonight? We were so pumped up about this. He said, I don't know. I can't. I just can't. And we had a minister's wife say to her husband, this is not physical. This is not spiritual. This is physical. She knew that it was something in his body. And that's when we learned. We took him to the doctor. We found out. I mean, he they sent him over to United Regional, and they diagnosed him with working on 15% of his heart, strapped him to a life vest, sent him to UT Southwest. By the time we got there, further evaluation of his health issues, we then found out that he needed a double lung and a heart transplant. And that has got to be, I'm, I'm assuming, of course, I can't speak for you. but Devastating. Oh, yeah. Our, our scenario with, with Kaylee is similar to that in that everything is fine one day. Yes. It's not like you had time to prepare. Right. That you kind of, there was a progression of deterioration. It's right. like one day things are fine. And the next thing, like you, get mm-hmm. to UT Southwestern and find out, our daughter has lung and heart damage, which would be very similar to what... Right. So you guys are just shocked. We're shocked. We're, we had all the emotions you can imagine. We were sad. We were shocked. We were scared. We were questioning. We, You know, what is this? We had pastored a church for almost four years, and God opened the doors, and God shut the doors. And I remember standing in the waiting room one day, and I felt devastated. I had no pastor. I had no church. My family couldn't be there because we're in Dallas, and they live in Wichita Falls. And I remember walking in to the to the hospital room and I said God where do you have us and he spoke I have you here wow what why (laughs) and now things make so much sense yeah but they didn't at the time no not at the time so you guys get this prognosis and you find out that there are some really serious issues right and so what happens from there? Uh, he goes into surgery. Uh, uh, and so what happens there is they formulated a system that they could use medically on him. So they they taught us how to do different medications. We had to put them together. Terrifying because you've got to do it right. Your son's health depends on it. His life depends on it. So we figured all that out, and we would refrigerate it and change it when it needed to be changed. And he did that for two years until one day he got a an infection, and it damaged his heart. We got past that by the grace of God. God has touched that boy and healed him so many times, and we're thankful. But then it came back again, 
And this was the night that we knew that this is it, that his heart can't take no more. So we get up there. They they put him on. Uh, eventually, it went to, double, to ECMO life support because he was in such bad shape. So he was on life support for nine days. In the middle of that, you can read in the book that God started showing me hearts and lungs and that he was going to provide these things. And, you know, I believe, help thou mine believe. I believed, but I didn't, but I did. But I guess I had enough mustard seeds, maybe just a few little extra mustard seeds. I don't know. But I I believed God was going to do this, and God did. God provided double lung and heart. And the doctors told us you couldn't have asked for a more beautiful set of organs. Like God blessed him with that. And he, he did real well until... He came out, when he came awake, he had ICU psychosis. Now, you take an, a boy that's on the spectrum of autism. Now, hang on just a minute. What is ICU psychosis? Okay, that's also in my book <laughs> because people need to be educated on these things. We had never heard of ICU psychosis. But what it was is from so much trauma that they go somewhere else in their brain because they can't keep it together. It's so traumatizing. So what Kyle did was he just escaped reality. I guess mentally he was not functioning at the normal level. That And then how long did that last? No, as a matter of fact, they were so concerned about him that they did a brain scan to make sure that nothing was damaged. They come back and they said his brain scans are completely normal. And a psychiatrist came in, he said, because Kyle had had his hands like an X with his fist over his chest, and we couldn't break it away. We couldn't massage his hands or move his hands away from his chest. And a psychiatrist said, let me tell you what you're seeing. You're seeing a traumatized person that is saying physically, you're not ever going to hurt me again. So his trauma went way down deep. So did the, this mental challenge that he went through, I mean, was this permanent? Did this last from then on, or was it for a season? It was for a season. And how long was that? I would say it lasted probably at least three weeks. Okay. So what what happens from there? Is he? I know he was in and out of the doctors. He, he kind of overcomes this, this mental challenge that mm-hmm. he's going through, this psychosis. Mm-hmm. And so is he back at home now and doing well at this point? No. It was a long road because he's still recovering from his transplant at this point. And there was so many tubes on this child. I mean, everywhere on his body. I don't even know how they kept him straight because he was smothered in tubes. But we would watch him come in and take a tube off. And then next day, take a tube off until the boy was absolutely free. And it was so cute because he said, look, Mom, I'm a real boy now. There are no strings on me talking like Pinocchio, you know, because it had been so long since he had experienced not having all these tubes. So what happened was then he went over to, when he was well enough, he had gotten drop foot, so he had to learn to walk again. He was skin and bones. Everything was new. He had to learn to talk right, walk right. But there's so many things he was dealing with because I, I do believe that it traumatized him in a way that we had to learn along the way. We, hindsight's twenty twenty. We didn't have the knowledge at that time. But if people would only beware, you know, of these different things and how to channel them, but God was our source. Yeah. And what about this? I would be curious because we've not talked a lot about this, but not only was there the impact on Kaylee and the mental side of it and the physical side of it, 
But, I mean, there was a huge impact on Missy and I maritally. It was a very, very difficult time in our marriage. Obviously, there was a lot of distance between us because there was no really connectivity between us because all we were doing was focusing on Kaylee. Well, not just that, but if you're there, like we would take turns. Ronnie would be there, and I'd have to be home, or then he could be there, vice versa. So you miss each other a lot. Right. In your marital connection. Right, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, we would take, well, initially, we both stayed, and then there was a time where only one person could stay, and Missy would stay, and then we eventually alternated, but you just lose that connectivity because you're never spending time together that you're not dealing with a hurting child. And it follows through with your children, too. Oh, no doubt. Our two kids were in the shadow for eight years. Oh, yeah. We we relate to that as well with my two sons. So not only did it have an impact... um, you know, as I mentioned on our marriage, but it impacted us financially and impacted us emotionally, spiritually. I'm assuming that you guys may have went through some of that. I know we talked earlier and I was telling you that I went through a real season of bitterness, but you didn't seem to go through that. But I guess y'all, y'all did have the impact stands to reason financially, emotionally, and spiritually mm-hmm. at some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the reason why I didn't channel it bitterly it's because I had seen the hand of God so many times through so many situations that I had learned to trust him through it. And, you know, this sounds really bad in a sense, but there comes a sense of relief because when you have a child this sick, you don't know when they're going to go. You don't know how they're going to go or what the reason is what finally got them. And so you have that fear of the future that we shouldn't have, but as humans, we fear the future. And we never knew how bad is it going to be when it goes. So I see the hand of God in his mercy. And so for me, I, I, I'm not bitter and I'm not angry at God. I'm angry at Satan. Uh, I've done some karate chops on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you mentioned that he had to learn to walk again. And eventually they removed the tube. So how old was he at that age? So take us to that precise moment of time. How old is he at that time before we get to where you just mentioned? Obviously, as you've revealed, Kyle is deceased. But before that happened, where were we at when he was having to learn to walk again? How old was he? Um, When he had to learn to walk again, it was immediately after transplant. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, let me tell you how bad as I see you psychosis was when I told him in the bed that next, the next step would be physical, um, rehab. Re- rehab. Yeah. He looked at me and he said, mama, I can't do that. And I said, Kyle, how come you can't do that? And he said, mama, I can't walk. I don't have no legs. And I said, what do you mean? You don't have no legs. He said, mama, they got blown off. And I had to take the blankets and lift them and say, Kyle, look, you have legs. Oh, my God, I have legs. I mean, it was where he was mentally. So that's psych- ICU psychosis, those things are that. So when he started coming back around, which we had to really work for him, pray for him, lay hands on him, minister to him, when he finally come around and he goes to the rehab, physical rehab, we had to stay in an apartment during that time. And I guess there was signs there that maybe I missed because he kept wanting his medication, and he'd always want a little bit more than what he was supposed to have. But when we got him home, that's when we realized that he, he had addiction issues, and um, it was foreign to us. We didn't know where to start. Now, how old was he at, at this time? He'd or, <clears throat> excuse me. He had already had uh, the heart surgery. Um, he learned to walk again. How old was he at this point? So he he was 
25. About 25. Going on 26. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and at this point, are y'all thinking, okay, we're finally on the right track. Kyle's going to be able to live a normal life. Yes. Or the, the doctors are saying, we're good. The heart surgery yes. went good. So everything is, is where it needs to be. Yes, because it was literally a miracle. It, it was a miracle, not just one time, but all through this journey, there was one miracle after another that happened. Even God showing me the hearts and showing me these things. There were so many miracles that happened during that time. So when, I mean, we were just grateful. We were home. We won the battle. We're starting our new life. Look what the Lord has done. I would dance around the house. Look what the Lord has done. You know, he's so happy. So, and God called me to write the book. And I said, yes, Lord, because I was living in this glory land of excitement of look what you've done. So it took me three years to write the book. But I remember someone telling me, because I told him, I said, I'm stopped in the book and I don't know where to go. And this minister said, because your story's not finished. And I realized, oh, wait, there's more to this. Oh, and was there? So you guys, he's about 25. Things are going well. It, it looks like the prognosis is great. What happens next? When do the wheels come off again? How much later and in what capacity? Immediately. Um, oh, okay. So it, immediately. Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. So and then what happens that help that, that help you understand, you know, things are not perfect. Things uh-huh. are not right. Things are not the same. Things are different. I actually had a professor from MSU told me he came to me and he told me he said i just want you to know the call that you took into the hospital is not the call that you've brought home did he know kyle personally um he knew of kyle but he he he's really good in psychology and these things and he he was telling me something that i i wasn't prepared for but then i realized okay i got you i see what you mean because kyle the night that he came home and we had the big house i mean everybody was in the yard he was on the news like five times wichita falls welcomed him home but that very same night, he was in the house digging in drawers, looking under beds because my boy didn't do drugs. He didn't do alcohol. He was a good Christian boy that played in the church. But all of a sudden, he had walked into the, a world of the unknown and was screaming. His body was screaming for, well, he had been on all these things for how long? Dilaudid, morphine? You know, um, so I met addiction in my home. I'd never been exposed, didn't know, but I met it in my home. And it was a whole new challenge of how do we cope through these things. And I'll tell you, by the grace of God, we did. And there is hope. And you can get through this. Don't let the enemy tell you any different. I don't accept the enemy's answer. I'm pushing on because I know what God has for Kyle. And, um, but he, he went through those things. So we, we got him help the best that we could, um, Kyle told the doctor the truth. He told us the truth. There's something wrong with me. I think I have a problem. Poor kid. Imagine he's a little bit autistic, too, and he's a little bit different. He's had lots of struggles, and then he comes with this new struggle of addiction. Okay, here's a new one. Let's dig in deeper now. What else do we have to deal with? So we we talked to the doctor, and we told him, uh, a psychiatrist, you know, that he, he thinks he has a drug addiction. All I remember from there was we got him a psychiatrist here who did a good job. But Kyle's an adult, and when Kyle decides he don't want to do it no more, there's nothing that a mother can do. You can't make them. He's not like he's 12. So he went through so many things, and he pulled away. But he did get a hold of his addiction. I want you all to know that through the grace of God, through the power of prayer, through parents that were consistent picking that boy up, giving him room to fall, give him a little bit of room. They're not perfect. They're people. They have issues. Work with your children. But we got him away from it. But 
it went from pain pills. Thank God he got delivered. Then it went to alcohol. Alcohol is a demon, to say the least. But by the grace of God, he, he yes, in the end, he would have like just a seltzer, 4%. But you're talking about going from a boy with vodka in water bottles and mama not having a clue. Yeah, um, you said, though, that he did go to counseling, which and we've always talked a lot about this on the podcast and always think that's important. Uh, yeah, it's very important. Um, so back to that question, we were talking about how immediately you recognized that something was wrong. Are you referring to the addiction or are you referring to that his beyond the addiction, his heart wasn't working, working right? No, his physical was not the problem. Oh, okay. So he was doing great physically. You, yeah. you were referring just to addiction. Yes. No, physically, he he beat all the odds. I mean, they were amazed at how well he did. He did so good. Yes, that's what I'm saying. They fixed him in the physical, but sometimes when their doctors are fixing them in the physical, you know, the mind is so battered and traumatized. And then if you add all of these delighted and and god bless the doctors because we know that you're trying to help them we appreciate your help but they don't know what else to do that's the only thing they can do for them but what needs to be known is that when they leave that hospital and go home to parents that are clueless it's a lot of heartache and it's a lot of trials but with god all things are possible and kyle did overcome it kyle knew who God was, and he blessed his name, and he thanked him. As a matter of fact, the day he come home from the hospital, he had one day at home. But my husband told me that on the way home, he said, Daddy, let's pray. And Ronnie said, well, I can't close my eyes. You know, we're in Dallas traffic, but yeah, that's okay, Daddy. I'll do it. God, I just thank you. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my home. Thank you for letting me to go home. And, and, and talking of the goodness of God, um, he, he loved the Lord, but I think that we as Christians sometimes see addiction as sinners, if you will. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely looked at differently. And even before the podcast today, you and I were talking about if you, I don't know if you had the flu and you were taking an antibiotic, nobody would give it a second thought, but when it's, right. and, and quite honestly, there's a lot of people who leave the hospital, I mean, I don't know how many people I've met over the years that, I mean, broke a leg, got in a car wreck, and had to be on some type of a pain management while they were in the hospital and then came home and were still addicted. And, I mean, I've known people that literally were white-collar professionals that have lost their family, their home, because what initially started out with opioids, eventually they were on the streets shooting heroin, you know. So, I mean, it, it can definitely happen. So how long of a season was that that Kyle struggled with addiction? Are we talking a year or two years where he was finally able to break free from that? Okay, so he came home July 2017 after his transplant, which was May 13, 2017. So he came home in July, wasn't really ready, but we were just so eager to get home. But while we were home, that's when we recognized, and he, he even told us something's wrong with me. He knew, he knew. And so then... We had to work honestly probably up until the last two years of his life where he was free. Oh, so it was coming on again, off again. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's a battle. Well, and there's yeah. a lot of people, too, that uh, I, I mentioned this also as we were talking before we actually got on air here that um, I, I have a friend that I've known for years, and uh, he, 
he's a believer. He's a, he's a great guy, and uh, he uh, is somebody that, uh, although only each person can speak for their own salvation, I believe he he's as saved as anybody I've ever known, and he does really well. He can do well for years. Sometimes it's months, and then he falls back into that. And so some people look at that differently. You even made a statement. I don't know if you realize the the power of it, but we were talking about repentance, this big $10 Christian word. And repentance means a lot of things. But you mentioned that it not only means a turning away from what's wrong, but it means a change of heart. But what starts first is the change of heart. And sometimes the change of heart comes quickly, and the turning away is a process. And that's different for everybody. You can't make a theology out of your experience. For me, when I met Christ instantaneously, my life was turned completely upside down. We just did a podcast with a guy who talked about his dad, was a bad alcoholic, got saved, and I mean literally never picked up another drink, and that's been Mm -hmm. 40 years ago. But just because that was my experience and that was his experience, doesn't mean it's everybody else's. And sometimes people get on these legalistic kicks where they want to criticize somebody or talk about their lack of faith or their lack of spirituality because they struggle with X, Y, Z. And for some reason, when it's drugs or alcohol or sexual addiction, it's looked at differently than if it's gossip or pride or greed or lust. And it's all the same. It's a process where, yeah, God changes your heart, and hopefully you can break free from certain things. But, again, for different people, that unfolds in different ways. And and so you can take it down this route, too. If we as Christians would learn to view addiction as an affliction instead of just a flat-out sin, it's an affliction in your body just like cancer. Some people get healed instantly of cancer. Some people it's a process. Right. And it's the same with addiction. God knows your heart. He knows where you're at. He's there to carry you through it. As long as you've had that change of heart, just let him do the process. Yeah, well, it's the same thing with mental health. Mental health is looked at differently than if you take medication for mental health. Okay, so um, he's fighting addiction. He's around 25 years of age. He'd had to learn to walk all over again. Now, is he still in and out of the hospital or or? Or no, I think you actually said a while ago, did you not, that physically he was doing great. Y'all were battling addiction, but physically he's on physically, target. Physically, we were mind-blown, and, and the doctors were mind-blown. He took those organs, and he ran with them. He did wonderful. Yeah. However, what the new illness was was addiction and trauma. Yeah. Well, and so what happens as far as the physical aspect, I know that you guys were fighting the addiction and trying to help him walk through that and overcome that, but he's doing great physically. So what's the next turning point physically? What happens? What's the sign? Okay. So physically, um, these people that get the lung, double lung and heart transplant, even UT Southwest has just done so many. I mean, it's, it's really a big deal. And, um, so, the fact that he got the time he had, he was blessed because we've always known. I mean, five years is kind of, you're really good if you get five years. And, um, but Kyle always knew that it'd be somewhere around then. But what happened was he just, um, you know, he actually had COVID uh, last year or the year before and he kicked it. I mean, he just went right through it, which is another miracle because uh, COVID was our worst nightmare, if you will. Right. But, so really, basically, what happened to Kyle is that he just started rejecting, and 
once you start rejecting, you've got to get them down there. If their fever's 99, I mean, you're headed to UT Southwest, and they've got to work with him, and they've got to get him back. Well, they were working with him. But how did you know? Like, how did you know it was rejecting? What were the symptoms of that that this, helped? Um, well, he it started all after Christmas. This And it's funny because he told me this was the best Christmas ever. He enjoyed it so much. But after Christmas, it was just downhill. He was in the hospital for his stomach. He was in the hospital for uh, just constant vomiting. Uh, he didn't feel good. He was struggling to breathe. He had went... He he started showing kind of more of the symptoms of when we were helping him pull out of this. Yeah. And so it was kind of like going back to that. He could not breathe. If people saw the videos of him struggling to breathe. But it, it's it's very heart-wrenching. But what happened was they put him on what they call a bunny, uh-huh. a bunny uh, infusion. It's really odd, and I'm still not completely sure about it. I just trust the doctors, you know. So they had him on that, which makes you feel like you have the flu. Your body hurts, your head hurts, you're miserable, you have fever. Then he, they also pumped him up with 600 milligrams of steroids. So the combination of those two things were almost more than a human can bear. But they got him to a place where the, he was better, and they let him come home just to go back with the same breathing problems. But then they got him right. Where, you know, it's always like they do something and fix him. And they got him back. But then when he was home, what eventually happened was... He was so low on potassium that they were giving it to him in an IV. Well, so he was in a good place. They sent him home with potassium, and he was supposed to go to LabCorp on Monday to check the potassium levels, but he didn't make it till Monday because he had too much potassium in his system, and his 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 kidneys failed. His kidneys his kidneys failed, and he couldn't release the urine. So. That's what got him in the end. So at this point, is it becoming obvious to you? I mean, have you gotten to the place where you have reconciled that Kyle's probably not going to make it? Or are you still waiting for a miracle? Or where are you at on that? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I think here's the thing that people have to understand. When you go through this for eight years and you're back and forth in the hospital and it's just your life, it's your routine, it's what you do, you become immune to it, it becomes your normal. So even though Kyle had gone in his last trip back to the house, you still in the back of your mind just think if something happens, they'll go fix him. So when he did pass, um, I was in complete, like, I guess denial and shock because you're never ready for it. No matter how many times you know it's coming, you're never prepared. You're never expecting it. And um, Kyle, he had come home, and he was he was there with us, and it was such a beautiful blessing. I guess this is why I'm not bitter at God because oh, I was, he passed at home. He passed at home. And, and how long ago was that? That's been um, about seven weeks ago. Seven weeks. Tell us about that day. My daughter was here. And she wasn't supposed to be here. They were supposed to be in Florida. But for some reason, she felt led to come to Wichita. Um, So she came here, and he loved his sister. He loved his brother. He loved his family. He loved his home, and he loved his bedroom. So, and his dog, Millie. 
So he wanted to come home so bad. That's why he was in the car, just thanking God, thanking him. And he asked, is Amber still there? You know, his sister's still there? And they said when he come in the door, it was like a little puppy dog wagging his tail. He was so happy to be home and so happy and was hugging him. And my daughter said, Mommy, he hugged me like he had never hugged me before. And Ronnie had told me that when he was up there at the hospital before he left, he was hugging his nurses and he was telling them, I want you to know I'm thankful for everything you did for me. I appreciate you. And Ronnie said, looking back, it was like he was saying goodbye. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. It's like he knew. So he, he placed his gratitude there on them. And then in the car, he was giving gratitude. And then when he come home, he got to eat McDonald's hamburger with his sister, have French fries, goof off, hug. And everybody was together in the home that he was raised in. But what had happened was... Um, I went in and checked on him because that's what we always do. It's just routine. Um, always make sure they're breathing. Make sure they made it through the night. Is, is he okay? What does he need? He, has he taken his morning pills? So it's just routine. So I went in his room. Kyle, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. How you feeling? Do you feel okay? Yeah, but I didn't get to sleep because I didn't have my Ambien. Because uh, he was on steroids so high, if he didn't have Ambien, there is no hope of sleep. So... Uh, and I said, I'm sorry, Kyle. And I said, I'm going to go take a shower. I went and took a shower. And the next thing I know, my daughter is screaming. And I thought it was my mom who's in bad shape. She lives across the street. And I, I said, what is it? Is it Nana? And she looked at me and she said, Kyle. And my heart dropped to my stomach because I had just seen him 15 minutes prior to this. 15 minutes. He was okay. He looked at me. He talked to me. And then I see my husband coming down the hall carrying him like a baby, wailing, and it just unbelievable, unbelievable. And then so we're all in a state of panic, um, and I, I just immediately went into CPR. And I don't even know if I know CPR, but I did the best I could. You know, your mom would do anything to get them back. But the ironic thing is I went behind the couch after I had tried unsuccessfully to bring him back. And I was screaming and looking at the air saying, you get back down here, Kyle Blanchard. I'm your mother. You better listen to me. I mean it. You better get back down here. Because I knew he was probably watching. And I'm his mom, and I'm trying to do what only God can do, which God showed me later. But in my desperation, I was trying to bring him back. And um, after that, it's a blur. Yeah, so were you guys, were y'all in a place where, I mean, you're never prepared for one of your, your children to pass, but were y'all at a place where you knew it could happen? Yes. I mean, so, although it, it, it's certainly a shock, it's not like you didn't know that this was right, a possibility. Right. Did, you, did y'all think in your mind that he was close to the final days, or did y'all think it was months, or did y'all have any idea? There were signs, um, hindsight's twenty twenty, and looking back, there were things that he had said there was things that my daughter talked about. There was different, yes, that maybe in your humanity you don't want to see it or yeah. you don't. Maybe you deny it or reject it. Yeah. But looking back, I can tell that, yes, yes, it was coming because my my husband had to help him upstairs. That's the way he was back then. He hadn't been like that in a long time. Yeah. But he had to be helped up the stairs. His breathing was shallow. He he was sensing that it was coming. And... um. But like you said, you know, it's always a shock. I mean, even if you know, like Jesus said, you know, that this was going to happen, but the people were still so shocked when it happened, you know, just to see it. Yeah. Seeing it is different than being warned of about course. it. Of course. And y'all were at a 
place, I'm assuming that y'all are just trying to keep him comfortable. The doctors had said there's nothing else that we can do. No. No, that's not true? No, we were still doing our very best, 100%, to keep that boy alive. Because we just had so much hope in the system, the medical system. Like, if it's bunny fusion infusions that they're giving him, then that's going to do it. God's going to make sure it does. Or if they're doing steroids, that'll get him back. Because we had seen him before go down, like, and come back and rebound. Yeah, yeah. Not go down completely, but we've seen him struggle. Yeah. But he always come back, so it was just routine that he would come back. So it's still a shock, like a major shock. So even when you're expecting it, like I said, we the, the disciples and them, they were expecting that Jesus was going to be, this was going to happen. He They knew. They knew the Last Supper. But it's different when you see it. Yeah. It impacts your life in a way that you can't even explain. Yeah. It's just amazing to me that, and not to say everybody handles pain and loss differently. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even have spoken. I didn't, Kaylee didn't pass and I couldn't have spoken about it seven weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just amazing how you have been able to respond to this. Obviously it's because of your faith, Absolutely. but seven weeks down the road, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm at a loss. I uh, think it has a lot to do with when you know your purpose when you know the reason why you were created and you know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, God's word does not lie. And you give God ownership and you lay back and you trust him completely that you're working this together for my good, that Kyle had purpose. Kyle had a purpose on this earth. And you know what? He fulfilled that purpose, but it's like it's been dropped in my lap now, and I've got to run with it and get the message to the rest of the world on so many topics. So many people are hurting in so many places. I've talked to mothers who are so, you know, I'm not judging them when I say stuck, but they're complacent, if you will. They're in a place where they've learned to deal with it in this way, but there's a better way. I'm here to tell you, I talked to a mom for two hours on the phone just the other night, and she had been so down for so many years, and by the time I got done talking to her, she said, I want what you have. Whatever you have, I want it. Well, it's Jesus. It's trusting him. Was it, she not a believer, the lady that you were talking no, about? No, she was. She was, but it, you know you know how we talked about turning away? It's a People have a process, and some of these processes, are, it takes so much longer but there's shortcuts, you know, if, if you if you can, first of all, uh, give up control of the situation, you recognize that you don't control, that you're not God, but then you have to surrender and let go and let God and know that they're better, they're better for it. We're better for it. Like Sometimes, though, that's so hard because uh, those verses that you mentioned, I, I knew those, and, and quite frankly, I when I was going through the scenario, I didn't want to hear them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's the thing that's so amazing to me of, of how, and I think God just gives certain people certain grace at certain times. I mm-hmm. think they're prepared for it, and I think others are not. And mm-hmm. I think the difference uh, for you and maybe some of those other people you spoke about or maybe even my scenario was you were just at a place spiritually where you were ready for that. I think, too, that what will make sense out of that is because my life, had been like a tapestry. My life, that's not the first thing that I've had to battle on a deep level. I've come from sexual abuse. I've come from spiritual abuse. I've come from postpartum depression on levels that 
should have been in the hospital with. Yeah. And then I went through the depression again. So I felt like God had built me up to, uh, I've seen all things work together to, for good. I've seen, I've experienced it through my life. And this is just another battle. And it's a battle that is already has victory. Death can't keep us. We are free. We are free because we know who we are. We're children of God. If we get that grasp, if we really can grasp who we really are, we we have royal blood running through our veins. We can conquer any any depression. Any it's got to be by the blood of Jesus. And guess what? Sometimes God brings medication to help you through that too. Um, people will take a pill for a headache, but no, can't do that. Please, God. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. He gives us what we have need of when we have need of it. So, yeah, God works in different ways. We just got to grab hold of it. Yeah. That, that's, at times that's very easy to do, and at times it's not. And, and as you said, for some people, right. it's a process. Now, I will tell you this, because I don't want you to think that seven weeks has just been like this. Oh, trust me. There are times we're only human, and it's normal. Don't beat yourself up for it. Don't think the enemy's attacking you. Sometimes Jesus wept. Sometimes we just need to weep. No doubt. And let it out, and let God bottle up those tears and know that he's going to use them for his glory, for his purpose. Don't be afraid to cry. There's nothing wrong with you moms if you cry. I cry all the time, a lot. But sometimes I laugh, and the key is to be balanced. Yeah. It's it's amazing story, and I know you're wanting to capitalize on it and use it for God's glory. Absolutely. You wrote a book. What's the name of the book, and how can people get it? Okay, the book is called Miracle. It took three years to write, and just know that it is a story from God. It's not my book. This is God's book. God, show, I don't even have it in me to write a book, okay? God wrote this story through me, and it's called Miracle. Like Miracle, yeah. but Miracle, and it is found on Amazon. You can get it paperback, or you can get it Kindle version. We're, okay. we're currently working on getting it audible and getting it into the bookstores. So that's where we're at with it. But you can also find me on Facebook, Carla Blanchard, Carla Wakefield Blanchard, and I have copies, and I'd be happy to meet with you if you'd like one. Just look me up. We'll hook you up. Yeah, and obviously the book would give uh, an opportunity to go into a lot more detail yes. than, than we can today. And Carla's able to talk about some other issues that we can't on a podcast that's 40, 45 minutes. There's just so much to unpack there. Even today before we got on the podcast, we were able to talk about a lot of other issues tied to this um, and even some hangups that were the result of maybe mm-hmm. growing up in a legalistic environment. She was able to dive deeper into the addiction side. There's just so many different uh, avenues that this goes down and, and the book I'm sure unwraps a lot of that. And, mm-hmm. and again, you can reach out to Carla through Facebook. Do you also do any other social media, Twitter, Instagram, or you're just Facebook? We have prayers for Kyle page. And there's, there's a lot of people there that have followed the journey from the beginning. And if they want to go and, and kind of look at some of it, we've got pictures from the very beginning. I've got pictures of what God showed me of the heart and the lungs. Like it's just the whole story. You can watch videos of him playing guitar. He was talented beyond measure with guitar and piano and there's so much there if you want to tune in or if you want to get to know me or if you have questions or you're going through something just find me through there carla wakefield blanchard facebook and then prayers for kyle that'd be great and by the way for those of you i know we have people listening literally all over the world 
But for those of you that are local to North Texas, if you haven't picked up on it yet, when she mentioned Ronnie, that obviously is her husband, and you probably know this, but they own Ronnie's Burgers, Mm -hmm. and it is the best hamburgers Mm -hmm. in town. Amen. Carla, thanks for being a guest today. We look forward to talking to you.